text for the sermon this morning. The text for the sermon this morning is the, the verses 22 to 24 of Genesis 3. We'll read those verses again, Genesis 3, starting at verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So far the text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who doesn't long for a perfect world where everything would be ideal? Who in this broken world doesn't long for paradise, for a state of perfect peace and love and happiness? Throughout the ages, a lot of philosophers and writers and artists have expressed their work, in their work that longing for a perfect world and the idea you get today sometimes is that people believe that crimes and terrible accidents and disasters and wars and so on can, can possibly be banished from society and maybe even the world. They dream of making the world a better place and almost perfect place. A lot of political systems are driven by the longing for an ideal state too, and you can think of political and economic systems like capitalism and communism. Sadly, those systems over time show that they're not able to deliver the happy state that they promise. And yet, today, the, the reaching for a paradise-like world continues. And sometimes there comes a new system and there seems to be some success Things get better, people are more at peace, there's less suffering, less strife. But over time, you see things revert back toward a situation of strife and inequality and suffering again, every time. Why do those attempts fail, even though they have such noble aims? Well, we need to go back to the beginning of the world as described in God's holy word. The beginning tells us a lot about what's going on today and what to do about it. In the Bible passage we read this morning, we read how this world came to be so broken and how man became inclined to sin and in our text we're told why it has become impossible for mankind to make life a paradise here anymore. And I proclaim to you God's word in the text for this morning with this theme, then God places cherubim between sinners and the tree of life. We see two things then. He blocks the way to the tree of life in the beginning, and he also then, doing that, shows that there's a detour to the tree of life via Jesus Christ. So God blocks the way to the tree of life in the beginning. In the text, brothers and sisters, boys and girls too, we come to the climax of Genesis 3, the chapter that portrays the fall of man in paradise in the beginning. We hear the results of man's fall into sin. The sentence is carried out. Adam and Eve are sent out of the Garden of Eden, sent packing. God 
chases those first people out into the world which is now cursed because of them, because of their fall. So in our text, we have to do with something that has great consequences for mankind right up to today, too. We, we also have to deal with this. It touches our whole future here on earth, too. God decrees man's eviction from paradise. In the original Hebrew of our text, the words used indicate what God says and does here are of huge importance to mankind. Look at the first word God speaks here. Behold. That means something like, pay attention here now. This is an important turning point in the history of mankind, in other words. Behold, the Lord God says in the text, the man has become like one of us. Again, emphasis on the importance of what's about to happen. God doesn't act immediately. He considers first. He describes what the effect of the fall into sin is. He says, the man has become like one of us. That might sound as if Satan was right after all. Because you remember he tempted Eve to eat of that forbidden tree by telling her, verses 4 and 5, that she wouldn't die if she ate of that fruit, but she would be like God, knowing good and evil. Sure sounds as if Satan was correct in what he said, right? Well, the Lord God says... The man has become like one of us to know good and evil, but that has to do with man's emancipation from God. Man separated himself from God. He had declared independence from God. And he decided that he would decide for himself what is good and what is evil. Man had become a law to himself. He would measure good and evil by his own reasonings and his own feelings. He made himself the measure of everything, his own Lord and Master. The word to know means something like to choose or to determine for yourself, not submitting to another, but deciding for yourself what is good and evil. And knowing good and evil, then, is to choose for yourself, decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. You are the deciding one. And that's how man is over against God after the fall, deciding for himself what is good and evil instead of letting God tell him what is good and evil. By taking that forbidden fruit, he, didn't, he declared he didn't want to be governed by God, his creator anymore. He didn't need God. He would decide for himself good and evil. We recognize the same mindset today too, don't you? You recognize that. People who don't have a relationship with God figure that they can decide good and evil, right and wrong for themselves by their own feeling of what is right and wrong, or their, own, their, their own ideas. And we see that concept working through in all the norms and values of an ever more secular society today, that wanting to decide, that man wanting to decide for himself what is good and what is evil. And that's something that we have to fight in our own hearts every day too, don't we? That we want to decide for ourselves what is good for us and what is evil. The viceroy, you see here, wants to act as if he himself is the king. So the Lord God 
observed man's rebellion in the first sentence of verse 22. An extremely serious breach of confidence has happened. And then he adds to his observation of what has happened with man. He says there, and now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden. Lest he put out his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. See, originally man was allowed to freely eat of the tree of life. And that life, you don't have to think that life was in the fruit itself. But in choosing for God by eating from that tree, they could enjoy a close relationship with the God of life through eating of that tree. As long as they were faithful to God, they could eat of the tree of life as a sign of eternal life, kind of a sacrament. But now that man had acted in disobedience to God, taken from the tree that they were forbidden to eat of, he had rebelled against God, now they would be withheld from that tree of life. Those true trees in the Garden of Eden, you see, they were the opposite of each other. It was impossible to eat from the tree of life and from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil at the same time. It was one or the other. One was a positive command, the other was a negative. It was one or the other, but not both of them. They were mutually exclusive, you could say. Because the one tree pointed to life, the other to death. So by choosing to eat fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, man chose death for himself. God said, if you eat of this, you will die. Man had given himself over to death, so it would only follow that God would now also cut off access to the tree of life to show that he had been given over to death. He had chosen the way that leads away from the God of life to death. And therefore the Lord God, as it says in verse 23, sent man out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And the way it's put there, by the way, shows how shameful that was for man. He was fired as God's chief gardener in paradise, became a servant outside of that garden who had to fight thorns and thistles and diseases and so in order to live on the earth yet for a time as his days here would wind down until he died and returned to the dust from which he was taken. And God, it says in the text, then placed cherubim between man and the garden between man and paradise, cherubim. Cherubim are important, angelic, spiritual servants of God. They're not the chubby kids with wings holding bows and arrows you see on the Valentine cards, but they're portrayed in the Bible as mighty soldiers. They were all over the inside of the, the temple, in the tabernacle too. Mighty soldiers. Well, God orders some of those mighty spiritual warriors to guard the way into the Garden of Eden which was on the east side. That opening was on the east side, by the way, the side of the rising sun. Alongside those cherubim, God also placed the flaming sword waving back and forth. So there's absolutely no way to get to the tree of life anymore at all. Anybody attempting to do that would be stopped by those cherubim and consumed by that flaming sword. 
There's no way you can get to paradise by human strength or ability anymore. And that also counts for today. Even though the earthly paradise has disappeared, nobody can reach paradise by their own strength or ability or reason, the state of perfection. State of perfect peace and happiness is out of reach on this earth. It's out of reach. Just a dream now. And man is, seems to be consumed every time by his attempts to achieve it again. People time and again have longed to establish an almost perfect world order, but every time again they fail. Just when they think it's close, another war breaks out or another disaster happens or something else. Paradise remains a dream, a utopia. And you can think you have everything in place in order to prevent another disaster and a train wreck occurs which ruins all kinds of lives and takes away uh, many lives in a terrible way. Or a dictator is overthrown and democracy introduced like in Egypt and you think things will go well now, better. And there's another military takeover and strife and loss of life continues. Or even personally, you think you've almost got to where you wanted to be. Good marriage, nice career, nice family, and so on. And something happens which throws a wrench into it all. No, God has cut man off from paradise, the state of perfection. He has blocked the way there to the tree of life, too. From now on, he has to survive outside of paradise and live and work on a cursed earth until he returns to the dust. Wearisome work, ultimately death, await him here. What a contrast with how it all started out when God put man in the Garden of Eden to work it to his glory. Man shut out of the place where he had once walked with God in the cool of the day where he could eat from the tree of life every day and enjoy the, the life God gives. Now mankind has to work the earth far from the tree of life, working hard to build up, but then having to leave the fruit of labor to others. What we build up then can be torn down again just like that. We're restless here on earth, restless people till we have to leave this life again. Our work and life here is vanity. Vanity. As the preacher says in Ecclesiastes, death beckons all the time, and when it does come, we can't take anything we gathered or built up with so much effort. We can't take it along with us. We have to leave it for others. Nothing lasts. We live and work here, not in the shadow of the tree of life, but in the shadow of death and decay. The Apostle Paul writes about that in Romans 8, 22 and 23. I'll quote those two verses there. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. In other words, we too, as the children of God, groan. We, we too have to deal with a broken world. We groan as we 
Wait till it becomes clear that we are really God's children, which happens when we'll be liberated from sin and curse and death in the end, in Christ. Congregation, this is what the, the blocking of the way to the tree of life in paradise teaches us. It teaches us why our work here is of itself vanity and why our lives come, ultimately come to an end here and why we can't make this a perfect world. We groan under the curse which has come over life because we look forward to the liberation from the curse by God's grace in Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon. God shows the detour to the tree of life via Jesus Christ. Congregation, sometimes a, you know, a road ends up becoming blocked you know, because of uh, construction, paving or so. The Department of Highways then opens a detour so you can still get to your destination, even if it's via a longer and harder route, often gravel road. Well, the, the Bible shows us that God not only blocked the entrance to the first paradise, the way to the tree of life, but in, in blocking it, he also opened up a detour to that tree via Jesus Christ. For when man was sent out of paradise, God did not put him to death right away. God did not give up on his original plan for mankind to live and rejoice with him in paradise forever. God continued working toward his goal of perfecting his creation. Only now that was going to be achieved through a long detour via the second Adam, Jesus Christ. So the way to paradise was blocked. But it wasn't all destroyed, and that showed there was a new way for the future was laid out after the fall already at that time. God promised, for instance, in Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman would bruise or crush the head of the serpent of Satan. And so you see then, a road was being leveled for the coming of that seed of the woman, God's son in the flesh. God, in fact, blocked the way to paradise in order to also then introduce the way of faith in Jesus Christ to draw our attention to his son, because his son would open a new way to the tree of life. Jesus would pass by the cherubim and be completely consumed by that flaming sword of the Lord. He would die. In other words, he wouldn't be given access to the tree of life just like that either. He first needed to be completely consumed by God's wrath. But the goal is that all who believe in him will have access to paradise again through him. And then also to the tree of life. So there's a way to paradise and to the tree of life via faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Christ could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you see that, that way being opened when Jesus was crucified and said to one of those criminals crucified alongside him, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. With me, 
Jesus said. And that means that when Jesus died, at the moment of his death on the cross, he stepped into paradise. And there he, as it were, ate the fruit of the tree of life. Because that's how he could rise again from the dead some days later, Easter Sunday. And that's how he could say in his letter to the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2, verse 7, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Whoever follows Jesus Christ, whoever is united to him by faith, he will also give of that fruit of the tree of life in the paradise of God. We speak of a detour to the tree of life via Jesus Christ. It's a long detour. But that detour does show God's glory. In fact, it's a path to the higher glory of God. You can compare it to Israel's way through the wilderness to the promised land in the Old Testament. God could have led his people, the Israelites, from Egypt directly to Canaan. He didn't do that. He chose a detour for them, a detour that went south to Sinai, and a detour that ended up being 40 years long journey through the, the wilderness. Why did he do that? To the glory of his name. In the wilderness, the helplessness and the spiritual bankruptcy of man became clear. But also God's faithfulness was made evident. The Israelites were completely dependent on the Lord their God. There were no resources available to the Israelites in the desert, and so the desert was the best place to make people aware of how much they needed God. People fallen in sin had to realize, had to learn that they had to depend on God completely for, their, for help and for life. And God showed himself dependable, wise, faithful, he maintained his people in the wilderness for 40 years by means of great deeds, water from the rock, manna from heaven, victory over enemies, and so on and so forth. Well, people of God today, you can compare the path of believers outside of paradise to the path the Israelites followed in the wilderness to a detour. Our path to paradise is also a detour now, goes through the wilderness, so to speak. You can think here of the book of Revelation where it says in Revelation 12 that the woman, the church, has a place prepared for her in the wilderness to be fed there during the time before Christ's return in glory. God is busy with us now in the wilderness of this world, showing us our need, showing us His grace and His faithfulness bringing us to depend on Him. He keeps us longing to enter the promised land, paradise, to be with Him. That path, that detour through the wilderness is not an easy one for us to follow either. Behind us, the cherubim, the flaming sword of God's wrath against our sins. And on the way, a battle for us against the consequences of, of sin and the brokenness of, of our lives here. There are many graves along the way, as with Israel. It's a tough journey, a tough detour. But if you follow the second Adam, Jesus Christ, 
then the promised land comes closer and closer to paradise. And when you arrive, Jesus Christ gives you his victory. He gives you to eat of the tree of life in the middle of the paradise of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ, the way to the tree of life has been, is open for you. He has opened that way, and through faith in him, that, that way is open for you. And that tree is symbolically portrayed in the section we read from Revelation 22. It's huge. It's huge, apparently, at both sides of the river of the water of life. And it bears different fruit every month. Abundant eternal life with God, in other words. And so it says in verse 14 of that chapter, Revelation 22, Blessed are those who do God's commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls too, let's learn from our text this morning about God's shutting off the way to paradise because of our fall, that we have to focus our hearts and lives on Jesus Christ. That's the only way. That's the only way that your life has meaning. If we don't have him and live for him, a paradise will remain out of reach for us. Life will remain out of reach for us. So let's not put all our hope in the abilities and achievements and systems of mankind or in our own strength today. Those cherubim and that flaming sword in the text remind us of God's holy wrath against sin and our own inability to make this world a paradise. Confess your need, brothers and sisters. Confess your need. Follow Jesus Christ. He is the way to life, to the tree of life, and to walking with God forever in paradise restored. Amen.